Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast with Dave Shields. I am Jerry. I am joined by Dave Shields. And man, I've been busy. Okay. I just got back from an event. I built some decks on Moto. I purchased some magic cards at the event. I purchased a pickup order for SCG Columbus. Uh, my two sets of friends that are here are both out of town. They both left like the day I came back. I'm watching their cats. I'm I'm busy, man. Got a lot going on. A lot, but it's it's all good stuff and makes me feel productive and gives me good brain chemicals. So I'm actually in a pretty good mood. I'm a little sleepy, but I'm in a good mood. It's awesome to hear. And there's no shortage of things to talk about. That too. I mean, going to an event and especially going kind of deep gives you a decent amount to talk about. So yeah. Uh, have you ever traveled to an event via train? I have not. Okay. I don't know what everyone's Amtrak situation is like. Uh, I know that on on the East Coast, like it is there, it exists, but I don't know what the routes look like. Like, I don't know if you, you got them up in like your, your Bastin area or whatever, or if there's, I don't know, different trains. I, I feel like everything got kind of like lumped into just Amtrak at one point, but uh, it was not bad. Honestly, it was, it was pretty cheap. It, my ticket was $94 round trip and wasn't that much longer than just driving myself. And then I just got to like sit there and do whatever the hell I wanted for four hours. And it was dope. And I went really deep building some really bad decks that uh, I kind of want to tell you about, but it might make your brain explode. I mean, that sounds super exciting. Oh, <laughs> uh, a lot of it was in Pioneer, which I didn't end up playing though. So I don't know how relevant it is. I mean, definitely not the format I'm the most excited to talk about, but you getting your brain going and four hours of focus on this. I mean, I'm not going to say no. Uh, also, good news is I located my gift of Eaterborns. I found them. They oh were- my gosh. They were in my cell box, and I ate eight of them. I have enough for two decks, Dave. And is that what we were brewing? Uh, I mean, for a little bit, yeah. So there's that. There was also a list that uh, 5-0 to League or, like, cashed a, a challenge or something that was kind of like my deck, but was, like, green-black and had Grimflayer Deathrite Shaman curving into Invoke Despair, and that kind of got my juices going a little bit. I think I've seen multiple different green-black decks doing well in Pioneer that look like bad Rakdos decks on the surface, but maybe there's something there. They are probably just bad Rakdos decks. I'm willing to concede that. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, Death Ray Shaman's good, you know? Yeah. It just is. Uh, Listen, especially if you can put cards in the graveyard. It's just, it's really hard to do that. That's all. Yeah, and I love Grimflayer, right? I don't know how well positioned it actually is but definitely a card that i've enjoyed quite a bit historically yeah i think it's positioned very poorly and i don't think it's particularly good uh i played one invitational with like sultai traverse oko and was doing some amount of grim flaring in that deck and just was reminded of why i hate the card so much but you know it, it does serve a purpose it has its role all right tell me about your bruise Okay, well, I mean, uh, that was one rabbit hole. The other one, uh, or one of many, I should say, was 
mono green and trying to fill those open slots with things that could kind of kind of smooth the draws out, you know, where you have like forest into elf and then Nykthos and some GGG cards that you can't cast or uh, just, you know, the trouble of getting to five mana in general can be can be something every once in a while. And I, I went to solve them through traditional means with like initially thinking it might be Corsair of Crew Fix. And then I was like, nah, it's probably Jade Light Ranger, but that sort of necessitates that you add some more lands to your deck. I mean, both of them do. And then I was just like, why, why can't we splash? Is that, is that, you know, too much? Is it just really, really bad? You know, like you take some damage, you have fewer forests, but like, what's, what's the harm, right? And started thinking about the other decks people would play. The big one, uh, probably being Racto Sacrifice. And then there's just like this Yasharn card lying around that is in no one's decks and is a kind of like big Jade Light Ranger, Borderland Ranger sort of thing that like helps you get to five and also just KOs their deck. So that seems kind of nice. And I, I think white is a more common splash color in Devotion to begin with and where people have dabbled a little bit. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, so thing I did... This week, and I should have done probably going into the event when I made uh, my roommate, a uh, buddy of mine from Atlanta, Jake, who was, was staying with me, uh, made him build me a mono green devotion deck. And I was, you know, that was going to be my default choice for Sunday. What I should have done before all that was probably start watching some of Bobby Fortinelli's content over on YouTube. I, which I've been trying to get you to do for a while. Well, you, you told me about it. You told me it was good. And... I, I, you know, I would agree with you, uh, certainly after watching it, but like even in the dark, it's just like, I, it would not surprise me that Bobby makes good content and it ended up being even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, but yeah, I probably should have done that before I started going down this green rabbit hole. Cause like he's, he's kind of tried it all already. Right. Uh, but you know, obviously some of the fun is me trying to solve the problem myself, but uh, his last couple of videos are with Green Devotion Splashing White, uh, but for Tulsimir, not for <laughs> Yasharn or anything like that. It, it, if anything, like creates more problems because you're adding more five drops to your deck. But I liked what he was saying. You know, card certainly has a lot of uh, potential upside for a matchup that is sort of bad in mono white. So it was cool. But yeah, certainly if you are new to that deck, he has some very good videos like explaining the combo breaking it down in a way that is like very easy to think about in terms of like, you know, can you combo this turn or whatever? And then also just has a bunch of examples of him playing through leagues and also him playing like a grudge match against misplaced ginger playing Rakdos in case, you know, people are just like, well, I want to see you play against like a good Rakdos player. It's like, well, you know, here, here's one of the winningest ones. Right. So uh, all of it is awesome. Bobby's awesome. And was poking around on his Twitter too and has like a lot of very deep thought provoking stuff and obviously useful stuff if you are a mono green player. Yeah, he has like an interesting take that I've really enjoyed where he records the videos first and then talks over them after. Which Yeah, I I actually like that. We kind of got poo-pooed for doing that back in the day. Because people were like, "Oh, you're just like Captain Hindsighting everything." And it's like, "Well, no, because you can watch the video now and you can watch how we would do the videos before. And it's not like 
oh, we suddenly got much smarter after the fact or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's just and- not how it is. And uh, it's just, it's so much easier to give like a coherent narrative and know what sort of things you're going to talk about after the fact. I think it just makes for like a better product, better content if you do it after the fact. Yeah, I think it obviously requires that you do it well. And I, I think it's actually maybe slightly more difficult. It's obviously a lot more effort, twice as much time. Yes. But he does an incredibly good job of explaining his thought process. Um, he gives away a bunch of spoilers about what his opponent's going to do and draw on future turns. So <laughs> he's not exactly hiding the fact that he he knows what's going to happen when he's explaining things. Um, but as somebody who is trying to learn the deck and learn some tips and tricks with it, I found them incredibly informative. And a lot of other content and Twitch channels, I often found myself like fast forwarding and wanting things to speed up. And with Bobby's videos, I actually found myself doing the opposite of like rewinding and pausing. Yeah, it's just like, you know, say that again. Let me think about this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Stuff is great. Strongly Uh, recommend. Agree. My my only critique is that he very clearly has a niche, but that might be why he is so prolific and so good at things like, you know, previously Amulet, now Mono Green Devotion, is that he spends clearly a lot of time on them. Yeah, and that's actually the type of stuff I'm looking for, right, is somebody who is an expert at their craft, and I find that stuff super appealing, right? You and I have talked a lot about one of the things I'm always on the lookout for is people that just take things in a slightly different angle than normal and um, it's definitely something I saw him doing that caught my attention. And then, yeah, I devoured all of his content as quickly as I could. Yeah, the problem is that we don't have a Bobby for every archetype out there, unfortunately. Well, I'm sure there is a Bobby for most archetypes out there. We just don't know who they are. Yeah, but they're they're not as good at being Bobby as Bobby is. That's definitely true. That's a high bar. That's fair. It is a very high bar. <laughs> yeah. So uh go go watch his stuff like honestly if you are playing pioneer you are gonna play against green devotion and it does behoove you to just have a better understanding of what is going on on their side of things anyway so just do that just watch his stuff okay uh another rabbit hole was grease fang and think there's a lot of stuff wrong with the abzan lists notably a lot of the mana bases, all right? And I know a lot of folks out there are going to be like, we have a bunch of cards that like dig for lands, and that's not really a great like retort when, I don't know, you're like just trying to dig for lands all the time because like your cards are also supposed to be, you know, like Grizzly Salvage is supposed to be digging for like your Grease Fang and stuff too in a lot of instances, right? It's like you can't, make the argument for both things. Like, why don't you just play more lands and then you can use those cards to dig for action, right? I think that is just generally a better way to go about things. I said the same thing about Preordain last week. Uh, Same is true here. Also, there are just things like a lot of these decks have 11 white sources, which is not really acceptable. Uh, Trying to cast Rafine's Informant on two in a lot of post-port instances, you're trying to play temporal lock or temporary lockdown on three and stuff like that. It's just like, come on. More lands equals more mana sources for all your colors and stuff. But I think Grease Fang... Well, I guess the reason I'm interested in Grease Fang is the thing that is supposed to have a good matchup against Mono Green is Mono White. And after playing the Mono White side, it is 
it seems like it's a very bad matchup, except for games where Brave the Elements is involved. It has not been my experience on the green side, but okay. um, yeah. I, I, I always just felt like I was behind and they they build up their mana so quickly and they have a bunch of like pretty reasonable blockers and stuff like Brutal Cathar is probably your best card against them because it allows you to remove something that they have while also developing your board. But when you have to like cast ossification on turn two or whatever, it's just, it's so bad. And I it's so hard to just like, you know, deal them 10 damage, let alone 20. Uh, so... I, I just found it was it came down to like whether or not I had Brave and I had a very small window to draw Brave. And so then I was just like, well, this this is just not going to work. You know, this is not good enough on its face. And I started looking at other things and like, you know, Grease Fang seemed solid. So I kind of went down this rabbit hole and I think I got to a place I like with Jund. But then I started thinking about, you know, like other options. I mean, I saw... The Esper lists that are, are getting better, they're getting more cards. I'm kind of interested in trying those at some point. I saw some that were very Legends-focused, things like Skrelv and Rafine and and whatnot, and they're just, like, beat down, but, like, with a little Grease Fang package. And it's like, that's cool, but probably not very good. And then I started remembering the old Mardu lists. You remember these old Mardu lists? I don't. I love the Legends lists. What What were the Mardu ones? Oh, it's just like Fable, Blood Tithe Harvester. In some cases, like Epicure and like Deadly Dispute. You could play Stitcher Supplier to go with your Deadly Disputes, you know? It was like, okay. You know? Started thinking about that. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down to play some of those cards, you know? And then I was quickly reminded why everyone got off Mardu, which is there is, first of all, no Asika's Chariot uh, comparison in, in those colors. So you're... It's not like one of your combo pieces you can just like fairly cast. And then they remedy that by just playing more Sky Sovereigns or whatever, which, okay, that's fine, but not exactly the same thing. And then the, the other problem is that you, you get to like the 20 cards you want to play, and then it's just garbage. <laughs> just a bunch <laughs> of stuff you don't want to play. Doesn't sound like it's very short, though. So maybe something to keep an eye on as new sets get released. No, I mean, it it wouldn't take much. And honestly, a lot of the stuff that is like, quote unquote, bad is completely fine, completely serviceable, just not not good or great. But certainly if there is ever, uh, you know, four ish mana, like red or white vehicle that does kind of like the same thing that the chariot does, where it's pretty high impact if you cast it and still medium to high impact if you do the grease fang thing like then then you're cooking you know then you're able to do other stuff yeah grease fang is definitely always a deck that i feel like has overperformed from what i've known about it but like i didn't i don't think people have quite figured out there's not really consensus on the list even when you are in the normal colors so um i wouldn't be shocked if you were on something but uh, yeah, some other so, stuff that was maybe not as good was like a Tarka Red and just being like, oh, I'll just I'll just kill people or doing the waste not version of mono black when when kind of deep down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, I think you're on the common thread thread of Pioneer, though. Of You just got to kill them. That's what I want to be doing. And I think Grease Fang does uh a pretty good job of that, like better than most. Uh, but 
it is it's an inconsistent deck, right? So the games where everything comes together, it looks pretty good, but there are also just the games where you're there spinning your wheels and not doing anything. Like you're working so hard to try and get to the point where you are pressuring them, but you just don't do it with enough consistency early on. Yeah. So you put all this work into Pioneer. How'd you do in the Pioneer event on Friday? Didn't play. Oh. <laughs> Showed up Thursday night, hung out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't really, you know, put, I started putting decks together. So, okay, I had I had Sacrifice. I got basically all of that together and where I sort of wanted it to be. And then my friend also brought me Mono Green. But then the next day rolls around, I just didn't want to play. So I didn't. Instead, I thought about Modern. What, what sort of list I wanted to play. Acquired some cards. Oh, man, dude, my deck looked hideous, by the way, because I needed, like, halflings and one rings and stuff and just went around to the vendors and were just like, I will take whatever you have. So we got mismatch galore? Yes, and I have two rings that are foil, but they're not, like, super foil. They're the bundle version ones, so it's like you're shuffling. You can't really tell that they're foil, but they, they still have, like, that shine on them. You know, and I forgot my stomping ground at home for some reason. So I have all Japanese shocklands and fetch lands, except for like a stomping ground. That I was just like, okay, I guess I just have to buy a random English one. And I, I didn't bring a, a fancy forest with me. So I just grabbed one on the land box. Dude, it was a mess. <laughs> Literal land box forest. And that was a very well loved forest. Let me tell you. At least it was only one. I mean, I don't know if that makes it better or worse because, like, I just have to fetch that one every time. Constantly reminded of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, figured some stuff out about my deck. I think I had a good list and good plans, and the event overall went pretty well for me, but also during the course of it, I realized some things that were wrong about my deck, which was not great. And I think, I think day one... Well, okay. <laughs> Day one kind of requires me to back up, actually. So I had not paid too much attention to this. My assumption was that the event was Swiss plus top eight that day, which was what the Pioneer event was on the previous day. Okay? Didn't say anything uh, to the contrary anywhere else. So then we sit down for round one. Uh they they're saying some stuff i'm not paying attention i don't care i'm just you know there until they tell me to stop right and people across from me just kind of like start complaining about how this is a two-day event i guess it's seven rounds on day one cut to day two day two is three rounds and then top eight and i was just like well that's a weird structure and then people are just like yeah, they, they just like didn't announce this anywhere. And like I paid to sign up for this thing on Sunday. And like now what the hell's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And my friends who specifically came up, Jake, uh, who came up specifically to play pre-modern on Sunday, who is now sitting down to play round one of the thing was like, can I just like get up and drop and ask for a refund? Like, because I wouldn't have played in this had I known, you know, so that was that was kind of weird. It was not great. Three rounds on day two seems really obscure. And it was. Uh, 
Uh, fast forward a little bit. I'll, I'll circle back, but I, I played my three rounds and then, then had a lot of time to kill. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was, it was very strange. I, I guess I would have maybe played another tournament if I had the opportunity, but I also had some other stuff going on, which meant that it ended up being fine or whatever, but yeah, I finished my three rounds and was like, all right, I'm, I am now in the zone. Like I've shaken the rust off, like the morning rust. My, my ADHD meds have kicked in. Like, you know, my, my Red Bull is like keeping me awake or whatever. I'm ready to play magic. And it was like, no, nah, your thing's done, man. <laughs> so, so was it like, were there enough players for 10 round Swiss or was it like two losses gets into top eight still? Or how, how did that work? Well, so this uh, kind of came back to bite me in round seven when I'm playing against a friend of mine and I didn't know how many players were in the tournament. I didn't know if they did Swiss plus round plus one plus cut to top eight or if it was just still straight Swiss where like, you know, once you get into like the nine, 10, 11 round Swiss tournaments, like X one and one starts being less good. I don't know if you've had that experience or not. Yeah, definitely similar, much sketchier. Yeah, because the the seven and eight rounders, it's usually like, you know, fairly clean cut or whatever. And like people can draw in the last round. I mean, it, it gets harder and, and murkier the closer to the cutoff to the next round uh, is, right? But it seems like the math is just way harder in the... The, the more people you have in the tournament, the more rounds there are and stuff. So I was like, honestly, like, I don't know if it's Swiss plus one. I don't know how many people there were. I don't know if X one and one was good. And and she was basically just asking, like, is it good for us to like just ID here? Like, is, is that uh like, are we, a, would we be a lock for top eight if we won out or is a draw the same as a loss for both of us? I was like, honestly, I have no idea. I think it's just better if we just play, you know, can never be wrong to play. Yeah. And I I ended up being fine with that decision. I think uh, X two. I should I should maybe go look at. I don't even want to go look. I I opened a tab. I thought about how much work it would take to get to the page, and I was like, I don't want to do it. Uh, I I don't remember what record me. I think I was playing for it at X and two, and so a draw would have effectively been the same as a loss for me. I mean, that, that makes sense. If there were 10 rounds, there would have needed to be like 400 plus people for that to be Swiss, right? Uh, cut off 4-7 is 65, right? Yep. And then 129 for 8. Yep. And then 256 for 9. And I think that is about where it was. So that it makes sense that it was Swiss plus a round. But even then, like, what does that do to the math? Because yeah. can't say just, I played in a lot of those. Just ruins everything. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like they should add two or none, but Yeah, I think I did the math on that before where it was like if you add two, there's like a clean, you go back to like the clean draw sort of scenario or whatever, but I guess yeah, I mean, I mean, just if you remove that round and everyone plays and it's kind of like a cleanish cut, then cool, but it definitely was not a clean cut for this. I know that a, a few people missed an X and two also. Yeah. I mean, I go back to like the really old school Grand Prix days where like, you know, regular Swiss X1's a lock, Grand Prix's X2 is always, was always a lock, but that was when they were still adding an extra round when they crossed certain player thresholds. Right. 
yeah, it was it was weird. I know that that some folks were unhappy. I was just like, I I don't really care because I wasn't even thinking about this. And if this gives me like my options were I get beat up in modern and I play legacy because I, I rolled down to the event with modern and legacy in my bag. I was ready to go. And you brewed and, and you brewed four hours of pioneer decks on the way. So this all this all is lining up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it all it all works out. I mean, I spent I knew that I had Friday to work on modern. So okay. I also did. I mean, I did some modern on on the train, but not all of it. But sure, yeah. So, so take me through your rounds. How'd they go? Uh, I I got so lucky, man. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's so weird. Uh, round one, I queue into Living End. Horrible matchup, and especially bad because I used what we talked about with the evoke sideboarding stuff and kind of like translated that into my Omnath deck where. I just cut the chalices and I just played an extra explosives kind of card. And I did have a couple endurances to hedge. I had some Pierce's main deck and I had like a Dovin's Vita. So I wasn't, I wasn't completely cold. I did have some amount of stuff and both games. I just happened to have like halfling in the Teferi and <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to de Japanese my decks, right? Uh, Teferi time raveler is one of the few cards I still have in Japanese. Because it's like the anime Planeswalker version one, right? So I go fetch up, you know, whatever, play Halfling. That's in English. Awesome. Next turn, play Teferi. My opponent's like, you know, gotta. I, wa- I want to look this up just to make sure. And I was like, yep, no problem. He starts poking around on his phone. Service, for whatever reason, in the convention center is just bad for a lot of people. It was like, okay for me, but still not great. So he's like, messing with it for a couple minutes. And I was like, well, I'll just try and pull it up. You know, we'll race you gets there faster or whatever. So like I get there and he's like, okay, cool. Like reads this fairy. He's like, yep. Got a force negation. This one. I was like, well, I have this halfling. So you should probably not do that. Just like take that <laughs> back. You know, I was like, awkwardly, the card that you should have read was the one that was in English or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I had, I had fairy. My opponent did have the force, which they showed me and I had the halfling anyway, but then on turn four or so, they Odawara my Teferi, untap, play Shardless Agent, cascade into a living end, but I had a spell pierce. <laughs> and, and they didn't have land number five. So it all lined up. It did line up. And I was just like, damn, I am so good at this game. Just like big brain, like putting that spell pierce in my main deck. No big deal, right? And then game two... I played turn one halfling and my opponent hems and haws for a while before having to fury pitch outburst to kill it because he's scared of the same like Teferi thing when he has a, a force negation in hand. And I, I did have the Teferi, so it was smart, but then he just never drew another Cascader and, and lost. <laughs> it was like his only red card to pitch, you know, so yeah, didn't, didn't really have a choice either way. I mean, this seems like a good recipe for how you win tournaments where you head your sideboard in one direction away from a matchup and then you run hot in that matchup specifically. Yeah, like you get paired against it round one, you 2-0 it very cleanly, never see it for the rest of the tournament. Just how we drew it up, right? Uh, Rounds kind of keep going like that. I play the mirror at some point. I play a feature match against recent Pro Tour champion Jake Beardsley playing Rakdos Scam naturally. And uh, my my draws are a little awkward. 
in in that, especially in, in game one, where it does include one of those two spell pierces I put in my deck, which uh yeah, not not that great in that matchup. But he he ends up scamming me on like turn four or something, which was an interesting spot because I could like hold I kind of thought like maybe he had a fable and I wanted to get value from the pierce. And then I had like drawn an Omnath on four, so I could have like played that, but I was like, nah, I still want to hold up in this Pierce or whatever. But then I got scammed and he just like took all my good cards, you know? So I was like, I don't know if that was right or wrong, but uh, I cracked a fetch and untap, I drew and I laughed because I drew a copy of the One Ring and then he lost. <laughs> <laughs> and just like, ah, sorry, man. Like you, you got reverse scammed, you know? Thoughtsy's bug. What are you going to do? Got him. Yeah, and then uh, one one game two also, and I don't know. Jake is great. I've I've known him for years. He's super fun. He ended up making top eight of the tournament. He was X and Jerry uh, in the Swiss, so you know taught him a lesson. But uh, dude, all, all my rounds were kind of like that. At least on day one, last round playing against a friend of mine, Robin, who's also playing scam, got pretty lucky in some spots to like beat her as well. And I, I don't know, just. Name of the game, I guess, when you get like double griefed and your deck has a bunch of like four mana mythics, it's just a race, you know, see who draws those. Yeah. And did you feel like you were just on the better side of the coins or did you feel like your deck was well built and performing well or how were you feeling in general? Yeah, I, th- I thought my deck was pretty well built overall. I-, I played against Tron once also. And so my plan there, I had two Alpine Moods in my sideboard, which was supposed to serve as like a speed bump against Tron. Like this is a thing that will maybe uh, time up for a couple of turns until they find an answer. And that will hopefully bridge the gap to get me to like Ren and Six Pesaju being online or my one copy of Crumble of Dust. So I had two Pesaju's main, two more in the board, two Alpine Moons, one Crumble. That all felt pretty good. If anything, I, I would have been happy with like another thing uh, against Tron, but you know, it, it was good enough. But the Alpine Moons are mostly because of the, the John Saga stuff. Like, that they have been, like, picking up a little bit online. And sure enough, I saw a decent amount around me when I was playing. I don't think I ever played against them, though. Yeah. I mean, but, we, we've talked about this a bunch. I love the Alpine Mood speed bump strategy in general. And I it sounds like that's, like, a pretty above average number of Tron hate cards for a four-color deck to begin with, too. I think it is. I mean, some of the lists that we looked at last week had like floor charmaws and some besages or whatever. You could tell the people that like really meant it, you know? Yeah. And I think instead of the fourth besage, I was going to play a charmaw, but the vendors didn't have one. So I was just like, yeah, like fourth besage, honestly, is probably just better anyway. But yeah, I, everything, everything came up in little bits and pieces, you know, like all my cards worked they all did their thing uh made me feel like pretty smart in that i think i included all the stuff that i was supposed to include at least in this particular version you know um but i don't know there there were still some issues like i i did only play one triome which if y'all have been listening over the last few weeks that should not be a huge surprise or whatever i think that was good but there were Definitely instances where I I fetched based on things that were in my hand, but like, you know, could have fetched in a different sort of way, whereas like maybe my halfling got gets killed or like my one card gets thought seized. 
Uh, it was it was kind of weird, honestly. You know, was, Stomping Ground and Hollow Fountain were definitely the worst offenders, though, because if you fetch Stomping Ground because, say, you want to, like, play Halfling into Fable, right, uh, then you need to fetch, like, another green or red land in order to cast Ren and Six, and Stomping Ground doesn't cast Teferi at all, so... Just some weirdness, but it's like I don't I don't know if you can really get away from that. You know, like the the way that you get out of that is just by playing more mana sources, so that it's not like oh I'm stuck on three lands and I have these issues. Yeah, and I think going up on lands makes sense in general there. But so what did we finish day one six and one? I think you were six and one. Uh, I played against a Murktide opponent in round six who. Played very calmly, very deliberately, definitely not slowly. Uh, and just, you know, never, never did anything like kind of risky, never really had to, just kind of like had it all at all the right times and was very patient in those spots too. I, I think I, I played against, you know, Murktide earlier in the day where. I, I feel like sometimes, you know, they just they just jump the gun a little bit. It's like, oh, I'm just going to, like, jam, but also still have, like, counterspell back, but I'm tapped out, and then, like, you remove their threat, and they just kind of, like, crumble from there. But my opponent was like, no, I got time, you know? We're just chilling. We're just we're just out here having fun. And I, I just felt like I got so destroyed, man, you know? Just nothing I did ever really worked. Uh, all of my cards were just ineffectual, got countered. My opponent was like outdrawing me with, uh, iterations and preordains and stuff. And I got worked, man. And then even there are the turns where I was like, oh, maybe I got them. And then they just had like a random force negation or subtlety too. So they had like that aspect on lock too. Yeah. I relatable feeling. Murktide's a deck, right? They're just so good at playing from ahead. So if you can never find, or even at parity, right? So if you never find a way to get a little bit of an edge, like it it feels rough, especially when they have it all. Yeah. And my opponent ended up getting getting second. They just played really well. I was very impressed. And no, Not surprising. Yep. Uh, I, I think they're like, you know, kind of undefeated or whatever. Uh, you know, some amount of draws or whatever, but it, it seemed like it was mostly their tournament uh for the entirety of it so i don't feel bad about losing there you know and uh then then day two starts right and i know that when you and i played the team event i kept you up very late and i sort of did that again here but not as bad still went to bed at like three or so managed to get some sleep which i should be thankful of on any given day honestly and I thought I was good to go, you know, but I think I was like a little off it, maybe needed some some time to wake up or whatever. I don't know. But things were just like a little rocky. My draws were definitely a lot worse. And I, I think my matchups overall were just a lot worse. I got paired against Amulet round one and they knew what they were doing. And that was scary. And they beat the crap out of me. It was mostly... uh. I think I had like a lot of stuff on lock except for Cultivator Colossus and they, they had the Colossus, you know? Never feels good. No, nah, and it it made me kind of happy seeing, I, I don't know if it was like Dom's latest list or whatever, but I, I've seen lists that have just cut the Colossus entirely. It's like, wow, I don't, I don't know why you would do that. It seems like one of the scariest cards from 
any sort of deck that's trying to like grind you down, you know, but yeah, um, my, my opponent was able to use that very effectively as a bridge to just overpower me and all of the stuff that I tried to do, you know, just any sort of like Alpine moon or what it is like, this is embarrassing. You know, like I'm, I'm not a Tron deck. These things don't matter to me. Yeah. And then round two, I get paired against uh, John Saga. And my opponent was X2 and 1. And they had figured out that they were mathematically eliminated from top eight. Again, I had not looked. I had not cared to look. I still had no idea. I was just playing. But they they came up to me when we got paired and was just like, hey, I'm out of contention. You're in contention. I'm going to concede. I was like, all right, all right cool. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to complain, you know? Yeah. Take what you can get. Then last round, feature match. Playing for top eight. This time, I actually do look at the standings because now the information is somewhat relevant. And I look at it and, yeah, we just have to play. You know, like there's uh, maybe the top four tables can draw something like that. But then all the X2s are just in it. They, they got a battle. And my opponent is playing Modern Red Obosh. Can't say I have played this specific matchup before. And after playing against it, I don't want to ever play against it again. See, <laughs> kick the crap out of me more or less so cool uh my opponent's draws were not even like that impressive they weren't bad but it was like i i just don't feel like i should be losing these sorts of games necessarily but there there were just like bone crusher giants involved on my ring turns you know and like that was just kind of enough to do it but uh game two down a game games kind of go on for a long time uh both because of like you know, my deck and my opponent's deck. There's like a lot going on. And I'm trying to play fast. End up uh tapping a uh, flood strand for mana, which is not great, not my finest moment. And afterwards, telling the story of what happened, people were like, Oh, well, they're a blood moon deck, right? So they probably had like blood moon in play, you removed it, maybe you tapped the flood strand. It's a uh, nope, not at all. Never saw blood moon from my opponent. Have no excuse, you know. We just uh, playing fast, and then Judge comes over. They they get our side of things. Uh, I don't know, just kind of like trying to figure out whether or not the game state is worth rewinding because it was like Twitch chat that stopped us, but we were a full turn cycle back. So it happened on like my opponent's uh, combat step, and now we're back on my opponent's main A on the next turn. And obviously since the game was recorded they could in theory rewind everything if they wanted to and so i was sort of under the impression they were, they were just going to like let the game proceed as it were which i don't think that i like maybe i was going to win i was probably like a favorite or whatever but not not by a ton i still needed a few things to go right and based on how what was happening in combat? I could have pitched for solitude, but my Omnath had been stone-brained, and I was low on life, and I needed the life linker, and I needed the threat. And based on everything that was happening, and me still being at like seven life or whatever, I think I would have fetched shocked because the shock land was the only land left in my deck to get. And so, just like I'm pretty sure I would have done this, and then had I done this, they could have like bone crusher bolted to kill me and I would have died. So I was just like, well, yeah, no matter what happens, I'm just going to concede. So. Awkward situation. Yes. 
but I can make it less awkward given that I was the one that make it made it awkward yeah. in the first place, you know? Yeah, I, I think that is a totally reasonable thing that you did. And I think that is what I would like to say I would have done in a similar spot. I mean, outside of hopefully not making the same mistake, but I think, you know, obviously you don't want to tap fetch lands for mana, but I think mistakes like that are something that are going to happen to most people at different points in time. So, um, yeah, I don't hate the idea of like just forcing you to fetch an untapped land, like on the spot when they identify this. I mean, I don't think that like within the bounds of the rules, that's ever something that's reasonable, but as far as just like, you know, maintaining a reasonable state of affairs. Yeah. And my opponent was like, well, you could have just pitched something, right? Cause I had, I had been like, uh, juggling rings for a couple turns or whatever. I had like six cards in my hand and I did have white cards, but like I said, I needed both the lifelink and the actual threat because I didn't have many threats left in my deck. And so I was like, I don't, I don't think I would have though. Like, yes, in theory, I could do that. And that would be like a reasonable fix, but I, I really don't think that that's how the game would have played out. Yeah. And especially being low on time and like down a game and like draw, just knocking us both out. It's just like, why Why would I do a thing where it makes it so, yeah, I, I 100% don't die this turn, but like maybe I die five turns from now? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I don't hate the way that it ended up being resolved. Um, and I think what you did is pretty admirable in general. Uh, there was also another fun judge ruling, if you want to hear about this one. Oh, please. <laughs> so, Pioneer Tournament, Creativity Player. Cast Creativity X is two. Looking to find World Spine Worm and Xenagos God of something or other to double its power, give it haste. Resolving Creativity goes through the deck. No creatures are there. Curious. Checks deck box. Deck box has. Uh, I At first I heard three cards. Now I'm hearing four cards. I'm just going to go with four cards. Four cards in their deck box that are supposed to be in their main deck, two of which are the two creatures. So, oh God. opponent, uh, non-creativity person, would be dead to this, you know, combination of cards, right? And we're in game one? I or believe post-board. so. I believe this is game one. Okay. And judge gets called because... You know, what? Like, good luck on, you know, some, sometimes the players are just like, oh, we can fix this ourselves, right? Well, how the hell do you fix this? Right? Yeah. So judge gets called. Uh, creativity person, uh, as they say on Twitter, they were expecting to get a game loss because they presented an illegal deck. Which, okay, kind of, kind of, kind of makes sense, at least under the old rules. So under the old rules... You might get a game loss for just like looking at your opponent funny, you know, which is probably not great if you're trying to facilitate uh, a pretty happy, welcoming, inclusive play space. You know, it's like people are going to make some mistakes. And I like the changes overall that they've made where if you make a tiny little oopsie, you don't get immediately punished. And so here's here's a throwback, Dave. Grand Prix Columbus, 2004, I want to say. Darksteel Limited. We're going way back. Yes. I am... Uh, 
I don't know. My record is very good. I'm like, I don't know if this was the first draft or the second draft. What I'm like, I'm I'm X and O in this. I X O day one of the Grand Prix, right? So maybe maybe this is like the first draft uh, at at nine O or something. I don't know. And I'm drafting. I have a couple friends on the rail watching me. I draft my deck. It's great. I'm pretty excited to like register it and and go talk to them about the draft. And in my haste, I forget to register my artifact lands because they are off the side of the sheet. I registered in the like total column, but not in the played column. So I register like 37 cards or something. What penalty do you think I received? I mean, given the way the story was framed, I'm going to say you got a match loss. I got a match loss. Yeah. Brutal. Because it wasn't clear what you were doing, Jerry. It wasn't clear. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I registered, you know, 12 lands and then my Seat of the Synods and Vault of Whispers in my blue-black deck were not registered despite having a bunch of cards that say Affinity on them. It was not clear uh, to the point where I got a match loss. Yeah. And those were just the rules at the time. It was just like, yep, my bad. I did that. Uh, and just I just moved on with my life. You know, like, wasn't mad at the judges. Wasn't mad at the rules. Was just like, that was how things were back then. Yeah. So I have an unbelievably similar story that I don't know that I've ever told you before. Hit me. U.S. Nationals. J- I was junior nationals in... Kansas City, I want to say. Dude, Nationals was like always in Kansas City. Yeah. It felt that way anyway. Go so on. So it was standard. I played Affinity. I registered eight of one artifact land. I wrote four of it twice and didn't register a different artifact land. Of which you clearly have cards of that color in your deck, whether they are black or red. Yeah. So I want to say it was round three. Um, my opponent, we get deck checked before game one. They come over and we both have deck issues. So we both get pulled aside by two different judges. They come back and tell us that we both have deck registration issues, very similar to yours, both match losses. So they start by telling us we both receive match losses. So we actually just get to play. <laughs> no. So we start that playing. That can't be the rule. We start playing on the third or fourth turn. The, a different judge comes over and says, actually, you both lose. Yeah, okay. That, <laughs> that, that sounds more realistic. But I'm 15 years old, and I just flew halfway across the country with my dad to play in this tournament. So oh, yeah. I am just, like, destroyed. Oh, yeah. Now, there was a, a pro tour in Spain in, like, 2008. So a little bit later, where I uh, forgot to register Sensei's Divining Top in my deck. So 50, 56 cards... Four tops missing, four tops in my deck. Uh, they, you know, so like when they check my deck, it is clear what happened, right? And I want to say I got a match loss. It might have only been a game loss then, but my friend John Pennick also copied my deck list because I had written it out already, and he was playing the same deck as me. Oh God! And so after that round, when that was like when, after they had looked over the decks and like issued. Uh, you know, the the penalties for whoever misregged or whatever came up to me and he's just like, you're an idiot, I hate you or whatever. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I hate me too. Like, what, what do you want? Yeah. 
And the worst part about these things isn't actually just the match loss or game loss. It's that like every time I handed in a deck list for the next 15 years, I had like crippling anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, dude, I, I double checked on my my limited GP one. I not only double checked my PT one, but like panicked it like and he's very meticulous. Yeah, I'm I'm at, like, I'm kind of mad that he didn't catch it, you know? Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, stuff happens. People, people make mistakes. Right. And in this instance, uh, well, in both instances, it's like, well, yeah, I want to play top in my like enduring ideal combo deck. And I have them in my, you know, it's not like I'm trying to pull a fast one on you. You could swap that for any card in the format. We'll never know. Yeah. And then in like, I'm, I I have like a a invasion sack land mana base where I'm like pigeonholing some fetches in my deck in order to get like shufflers for my top or whatever. Yeah, I actually think there was a time where not only would you get a gamer match loss for these things, but you had to replace the cards in your deck with basic lands. Oh, yeah, that that would have happened uh, at a different time, I think. So, yeah, I, and that's I like it, even worse. That just destroys your whole tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of four tops, I just have like four planes. or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. Good luck. And then for the limited example, it's like not only would I... I don't know, just like, I, I'm not going to play anything in place of these artifact lands. Like, if you gave me cards to add to my deck, I would add more artifact lands. Yeah. Over anything. You know, it's like, oh, do you want, like, uh, you know, some blue mythic or or a seat of the slide on? I would take the seat 100% of the time. So, <laughs> I remember anyway. a weird amount of game losses related to foil basic lands being opened in sealed pools, and that was always one of the most infuriating conversations at every single sealed deck tournament. Yep. Yep. Anyway, but new rules, mostly good. Uh, I've also played in tournaments where like the rules were like in this kind of like weird window where uh, I I played a game one where I didn't realize that I hadn't D sideboarded because I my deck was one duress, one maelstrom pulse main and one of each in the sideboard. And then I noticed it while I was sideboarding where I had like the extra duress instead of the pulse. And I had one game one, called the judge on myself, expected to get a game loss. Judge came over. I got a game loss. And then I won the match. And then later the judge found me and was like, actually, that's not a game loss anymore because you like called it on yourself or whatever. And I was like, yeah. oh, I, I didn't even know that. But like, you know, cool. Good to know. So uh that that judge for a while when, whenever they saw me would make it a point to like apologize i was like I, I i thought i was getting a game loss you know like what are you apologizing for like i thought that's what the rule was you thought that's what the rule was it just recently changed you know not a big deal anyway judge comes over and the new policy is is if you discover at some point that there is an error with your deck you fix it you just fix it on the spot and if you call yourself on it uh, I mean, I, even I think if your opponent like calls you on it, but especially if you call yourself on it, there is no penalty issued because they don't want to disincentivize people from calling judges on yourself, which I think is awesome and is a good place to be, right? On the surface, logically makes total sense. So what they decide to do uh, for, for this, uh, I mean, well, first of all, what happened was uh, I think think they 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 gave the person a game loss or whatever 
Um, and then afterwards came back and was like, well, would the combo have like killed your opponent? Okay, never mind. Like you win the game. It was like kind of weird. It was it was one and then they changed it to the other. But I think the the big point of contention here is do you fix it in the middle of resolving the creativity or has the creativity resolved and then you fix it? Because especially in this instance, one of the big problems with this deck is you might draw one of your combo cards. You need to play cards like uh, Fire Prophecy, now Volcanic Spite, I think is the name of the new one, where it puts a card from your hand on the bottom of your deck. So if you draw the the Xenagos, you can put it back. If you draw the Worm, you can discard it to a Fable or something also, and it'll get shuffled in. Like, you, you go through, like, real deck-building costs in order to make it so these cards are not in your hand, right? And then being able to, like, play a game with not only a 56-card deck, which I think a lot of people could argue is just generally in your favor because you have, you know, better chances of drawing your better cards, whether it's, like, you know, you want to argue for Fable or just, like, creativity in general or whatever. I think that overall that's a positive. But, like, both the the win conditions not being at risk of, like, being drawn or whatever, like, that's a pretty big boon. And also them being like, oh, well, if if we can fix you know, the error, we fix it, but like you can't fix the previous like 10 turns of gameplay where they may have just like drawn that card, you know? Yeah. I have so many thoughts here. And like the fact that this is not just like a creativity deck with a bunch of different targets, like four archons in modern, where if you draw one, it's a mulligan, but not the end of the world. But like having one in your hand actually prevents you, your deck from functioning. Yes. Um, is like an extreme situation here. Um, and I think letting them fix this mid creativity is just like beyond absurd. And I have no idea what the rules actually say. And I, I frankly, like that's less important to me, but like the spirit of fairness, like letting them fix their deck and post creativity resolving seems like a pretty reasonable state as far as like, you know, competitive integrity goes relative to what's reasonable i think that like you know slightly increasing your odds of drawing good cards is like in general going to be more of like a rounding error but um the actual targets themselves it has such a big impact on everything that this just blows my mind yeah i think that that is the big point of contention like you can say the new policy is xyz and okay that's great and then it comes to like this instance in this specific scenario where the implementation for the policy is to you've you've discovered an error, let's fix it. Well, the question becomes, is it during the creativity or after? And tangentially related to that, I suppose, is should this player incur some sort of penalty for doing a thing that is largely in their favor because there is potential for abuse here. So I think that if you are determining policy going forward that is probably something you should take into consideration you know because say I only play this deck in one tournament well i know that i could get away with this at least once for free yeah and i might be naive but i i'm less worried about these like super weird angles where like the consequences for getting caught are severe and the advantages to be gained are like incredibly minuscule um but i think that like assuming this was you know not done maliciously it's still like beyond i don't think it preserves the competitive integrity of the tournament to allow the creativity to resolve and the creativity player to just win on the spot 
Yeah. Uh, that is generally where I land too, but it's, it's weird where I think that, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm curious how they would approach, uh, if it were a smaller stake situation where it's like, Oh, I want to fetch my triome on, on turn one, but oopsie, it's in my sideboard. Well, I, I I think that I should probably get that and that my opponent would probably not have a big deal with that. Yeah. Right? I would agree with that. And I, But like, where do you draw the line? You know, say yeah. I'm playing uh, Eldritch Evolution or, you know, so Green Sun Zenith or something on like turn four or turn five and I'm looking for a specific silver bullet in this scenario. Like, do I then get to get the bullet or do I have to get something else? You know, like, yeah. How? Because I, I think it should be the same policy. In an ideal world and in a perfect world, yes. And listen, I am nowhere close to smart enough or sophisticated enough to be able to de- decide what that policy is. All I can tell you is that, like, this feels wrong. Yeah, I mean, I want the policy to succeed in what is doing a pretty good job of in that it doesn't penalize people too deeply for making mistakes. And I don't want to disincentivize people from calling judges on themselves when they discover a mistake. But I don't want there to be potential for abuse either. And maybe these can't coexist together, but I would like there to be systems in place that incentivize people to not make more mistakes in in the future. You know, like when you get a match loss for misregistering, yeah, you're racked with anxiety and maybe that's like, you know, too much. Maybe that's not good. But you should have a healthy amount of fear that something bad will happen to you if you mess this up again, you know? And I, I think that that is a fine place to be. Yeah, and I, I agree with all that. And I, I agree with the direction the rules have gone. And it's it's been quite a while since I saw a ruling that was to the letter of the law and the way the rules were supposed to be interpreted. And I like felt like it was fundamentally wrong. Like I, I think they're... They've, the rules have come such a long way in the right direction, but I don't know. This one just something's got to change here. Yeah, I mean, like laws, laws and rules exist, and they get created for a specific reason, and then inevitably you find some weirdo corner case, right? And then it's like, oh well, maybe this law or this rule has to change. And I think that this is one of those scenarios. Yeah. Yep. So I I think that this rule exists with the greatest intentions in mind, and I think that it was handled a little sloppily, which is to be understandable given that this is maybe going to be the exception that that does force the rule to change. But uh, ov- overall, I like where their head is at. It's just like, it, it just seems too much. It seems like too much of a free roll. It seems like too much to be gained. And I, I feel like, you know, you get to fix the deck error, but, but, you know, your creativity resolves and you get nothing. I feel like that is completely fine. You know, like not that will normally determine a game, but it doesn't always. Right. So it's like you still in theory have a chance to play on, but I think that that is probably the best way to solve it. And then I don't know how that factors into this deck versus like tutoring up uh, a creature on turn five or like fetching on turn one. You know, I feel like those are different scenarios. Yeah, like not letting something resolve mid spell could be like a reasonable way to do it. But yeah, um, I I don't know. I mean, trying to think through all of the different iterations and variations of the potential here is just like 
a monumental task in and of itself. And um, part of me wants there to be a world where the head judges have some amount of leeway to make some more subjective judgments on what to do in a given situation. And I think in a perfect world, that would be the case. But that puts such an unfair burden on the judge and puts them in such impossible situations that like, this is like, this stuff's just so complicated. And um, sometimes there's just not winning with it. Well, the thing I don't like about it is that the player, the creativity player, doesn't necessarily have to litigate the opposing side. Like they may know how big of a deal it is that they didn't have to run the risk of like drawing the world spine worm at any point. But when you ask that question to the opponent, maybe they don't have as great of an understanding of your deck and how it works and what the pain points are. So they might not see the fact that the upside of you not being able to draw those cards for several turns is such a big deal, right? So like now it is kind of like on you as an opponent who may play against like creativity or something along those lines in the future to be able to litigate your case strongly as to why your opponent gained an edge off of that. And I don't think that that's particularly fair either. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why I said like, I think in some magical fairy tale fairy tale land, allowing the this level of subjectivity makes sense. But in practice, it just doesn't work. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm mostly just speaking to you saying that like, oh, the judge, the head judge should heavily weigh or whatever. And it's like, maybe they do. But if they don't understand the cost and the creativity player isn't necessarily going to offer that information up and the opponent doesn't understand the cost, like it is up to rule the rules to determine that and say that and like yep. tell them up front. Because I think that was a point that was brought up kind of like later into the whole Twitter conversation where that maybe may have changed some people's minds. Sure. And I think like in a in a real practical implementation of the rules, like I don't think it puts the judge in a fair position to be able to make judgment calls like this because like the person on the bad end of this ruling, like I think having them be frustrated with the rules is way more appropriate than being frustrated with the person or the judge. Yes. Yeah. But but also, like, you were the one that made the mistake, too. And yeah. I don't... I, I'm never going to feel bad about something bad happening as a result of you making a mistake, you know? Like, that's still up to you. Yeah. So here's an interesting one. If you were the creativity player... What would you have done? It's like such a hard situation because like taking the win feels wrong fundamentally, but at the same time, like your opponent, you're, you're, you're weirdly obligated to, if you're trying to maintain like fairness and competitive balance. Yeah. I, I know that I would have been cognizant of the fact like, you know, if, if creativity was cast on like turn four or something maybe it's less of a big deal but if it was like a fairly long game and i don't know maybe like your volcanic spites didn't have targets or whatever and like you know that if you had drawn one of these cards at any point you would have not been in a position to win the game or whatever i i don't feel like i could have just been like okay oopsie fix it like no no harm no foul you know i i I probably would have conceded you know yeah it's weird because you're I, I can guarantee you as I'm sideboarding and shuffling, I'm feeling at least a healthy amount of pressure to concede. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's this is one of those situations where just like everyone kind of loses. For sure. 
And that's that's why judges got to figure this stuff out. I don't envy their position, but it is a, a thing that they do have to address. Yeah. Pay the judges. Well, yeah. I mean, that too. <laughs> yeah. The, this is their job is not easy. No, it's not. It is like mostly thankless and it it just sucks. And honestly, I don't understand why they're still there. I mean, I do like there is definitely a love for the game and the community and the systems and everything. I like I don't share that to the point where I think I could just be on my feet for like 10 plus hours a day for peanuts effectively. Just yeah. Uh, they they are saints, and you would not have any tournaments if you did not have them. So think about that. Yeah, there's some judges that probably traveled to this event or a different one in the future and spent four hours on a train with their notebook trying to rewrite this policy in a way that was better. Yeah, uh, Mason Clark rode home with a judge, and kind of like our our parting words were. He was just like, all right, you know, have fun on the train or whatever. I was like, yeah, have fun talking about the creativity ruling for six hours or whatever. Because <laughs> I just knew like it's like that is that is their stuff, you know, like that is definitely in their orbit. And they are definitely all like, you know, thinking about it and talking about it now. You just can't help it. Yeah. Super interesting. So anyway, end of the tournament, uh, five, six and three with an asterisk. Uh, one of those or seven and three with an asterisk, one of those being a concession. And yeah, so six and three in rounds played. Yeah, you know, but like, I don't know, adjusting, adjusting for luck, probably, you know, somewhere in like four or five range, I guess, probably, maybe, I don't know. Uh, the deck was good in that it was a good version of a deck that was reasonably well positioned and had some issues, uh, certainly against like the, top like the the winning portion of the metagame i guess not even necessarily the top tier but like the players who are also doing like similar things and doing well and certainly those players were also like very good which made my job much harder yeah so i i don't i don't like it and i i want you to do me a favor and it's it's kind of a big favor uh especially because i'm me and i'm lazy and i don't succumb to peer pressure and I have acquired all the cards for this deck now, but I want you to make it so I never play Omnath again. Unless something significant changes, right? Like that is that is always a, a potential outcome. But here's my problem. It, it It's it, weird because I, I joined this, the cast tonight, hoping you were going to talk me into playing Omnath in a few weeks. And no, here we are. No. So I guess we're going in a different direction. No, but I do have good news for you, brother. What's All right, let, let me finish. Uh, deck is, at this point, a lot of four drops, which they're all bangers, don't get me wrong, and Delighted Halfling, if you draw exactly one and you don't have to fetch the Triumph and it lives, uh, is really good. Uh, there was a sequence of turns in the mid-game against my Merktide opponent where I drew Halflings on like turns five, six, and seven in a row, and that sucked because uh, my turns were just like one, two, go, one, two, go, one, two, go. And they all got killed. And this is like, this is just bad. It's so bad. Uh, deck just has a, a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and you can overcome some amount of that with the power of mythic rarity and uh, card advantage to some degree and stuff like that. But I, I don't like it. It is relatively proactive, but is still doing 
way too many reactive things. Like if I could change one thing about the deck, I played two Fable of the Mirror Breakers. They were awesome. If I could change one thing, I would just play all four. I would just play all of them. Well, uh, we're, just, we're seeing a pattern here of just add Fable to every deck in all the formats. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, one of those things where it just like does a bunch of stuff. Like how many of them do you actually want to draw? Like, do you want it against everyone? I was, I was just like, I don't care. It's my brainstorm. Yeah. Like th that is what the card does. And it is proactive. It does put pressure on your opponent. Uh, cool. I like those cards because they're just like fundamentally overperforming your bad draws. And I think yes. that's like an underrated aspect. Yes. Uh, so many of the draws that I categorize as like pretty medium where things are just not coming together or it's like maybe my mana kind of sucks or maybe I'm drawing like the wrong half of my deck or maybe I'm peeling Delighted Halfling or whatever. It's just, Fable fixes all of it, you know? Yeah, that's uh, why I like the hell? brainstorm analogy. Right. And uh, Liliana the Veil is Jun's brainstorm. It, it does the same thing. It trades like your bad cardboard for their good stuff usually. And the games where you don't draw it feel way different than the games than you do. And Fable is the exact same thing here. And I thought that I could just power through that with like one ring stuff. But like, I don't know, people were killing my one rings. They were like putting pressure on me to the point where like I didn't feel safe casting it or I had to do other stuff to like address their board and whatnot, you know, like, and you only have four of them anyway. So whatever. Got uh, it. So if, if, if I have a friend who calls me and just loves four color and just asks me if they're allowed to play it, are they allowed to? Cut, cut my pierces for Fables and play pretty close to my 75 sure so um, maybe not the best deck in the format but if you got your heart set on that and that's your jam it is totally a thing that is viable and you can do it the other issue is that i played some rounds where the clock was very very much an issue and maybe some of that can be solved alongside the proactivity problem where it's like maybe you just find something better to do uh one of my friends noted that they were playing Territorial Kavu kind of in the Fable slot. And it's like, all right, yeah, it doesn't seem that bad. You know, it's definitely not doing the same amount of like fable stuff, but I I can see where that would sort of have value, you know? Yeah. So Anything that helps get them dead. Yeah. Uh, the big takeaway was a thought that I had a pretty long time ago, which was if we're doing this thing where I'm like, kind of interacting with my opponent and kind of doing card advantage stuff. Man, creativity would just be a better end game than whatever the shit this deck is trying to do. We got him. So, you sent me a list. Uh, I sent you a list a while back, I think, with like the Counterspell Preordain version. And I loaded both of those decks in onto Magic Online. I bought the random stuff. I will get the rest from uh, lovely sponsor card hoarder who has hooked me up with a, a loaner account you know i try not to borrow like every single thing from every little deck like if, if the card's like a ticket or whatever i'll just buy it so i don't have to like type it in every time you know but i have worked a lot at getting those decks pretty close to completion and then if not for being super busy today i i was planning on playing a league with the counterspell one just to like give you my thoughts and get it out of my system and everything. But uh, that is what is on the docket for me next. I'm very excited. Um, I have spent the last two weeks playing a variety of different modern decks. 
pretty reasonable amounts of success with basically everything, but not a ton of success with anything specific, but nothing ever felt quite right. Um, and then starting a few days ago, I started playing some more games with creativity again um, and was doing pretty well. Um, and I think that I'm excited to see your take on things and have a different voice of reason in the conversation. Cause I, I feel like most of the matchups are solvable. Um, that being said, like you can't solve all of them at the same time. Right. So I, but I do feel like the tools are there if we can find the right balance to like have the deck be reasonably positioned. I don't think it's the best deck in the format or anything, but um, I, I do think it can be in that conversation. Yeah. The problem with that though, is I, I think that I'm good at making small adjustments that hedge for things that are certainly lesser but are prevalent where it's like in as my tron hate card instead of charma i will play alpine moon and i mean granted uh the, the like i didn't play a charma because i couldn't find it or whatever but like i started with alpine moon you know like those were definitely there and it was like look this jun saga deck is creeping up i think it's pretty good i think Saga in general is kind of scary, so that kind of gives me a little bit of a better hedge against things like Hammer and against like Amulet. Previously, I had stuff like, you know, maybe Dress Down in that slot or whatever, but like Alpine Moon for this specific weekend seems better overall, and that that did come to fruition. I played against Amulet. I played against Jun Saga. Technically, we didn't play the match, but, you know, I'd like to think that I just would have gotten there off the back of Alpine Moon naturally. and I think creativity's answers to a lot of things, or at least changing its plans in order to better address some things, are a little bit more heavy-handed and don't necessarily lend itself to the same kind of like finessing that I, I can do with a thing like Omnath. But I'm interested to try, you know? It, it's weird because the creativity list now are like, Oh, we'll just play like some silences and tracidons and uh, celestial purges or whatever. Maybe that solves everything. But it's like those are those are still pretty narrow, even if you're they're there for like two or three matchups, you know? Yeah, I think in the matchups where you want them, they're like some of the best things you can be doing, but um they do not come in against a wide range of decks. And the sideboards that I've typically played with, not just creativity, but other decks of this variety historically, usually have like pretty flexible sideboard options, a bunch of one and two ofs that can come in against a lot of different things. And with the current version of creativity that like Sean Goddard has been playing, which is where like I started with my list, I think he made a bunch of really awesome changes both at the Pro Tour and just after. Um, I find myself bringing in eight cards in some matchups and not having any cards in others, which is a very weird feeling. Yeah. And there are times when that is fine. Uh, Creativity being just kind of like a soup of things for the most part. Like you have Bolt, Pierce, Teferi, Renin Six. It's like some of those are just not going to be good in certain matchups. I mean, maybe not Renin Six. Renin Six is kind of good everywhere, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So... I'd love to be able to find ways to like maybe trim a few of those more narrow but powerful cards for something that's a little bit more flexible to give me a little bit more play. But it's also really hard when you like play in leagues online, you're going to play against a much wider range of decks than you're going to see at in challenges or at some of these larger events. Yeah, I played against a pretty good spread of things at the event. That I can actually pull up because I tweeted my matchup spread. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess you did play against Obosh in your winning then, which, you know, we yeah, played a lot of modern rounds in the last few months. I don't think I've played against that ever. Yeah, I did not have that one on on the the bingo card or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have a sideboard guide for that? No, I did not. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. patrons. Yeah. You're sitting there trying to figure out all the odd cards in red. Like, what could he possibly have? I don't know. I, I made two threads for this weekend. I clicked on the one that it was not. Uh, why did I make two threads? Jesus. What is wrong with me? Oh, no. I made three threads? Your Twitter game is off, if we're still allowed to call it that. No, nah, I mean, it. okay, first of all, there is no other thing to call it. And they were all like separate thoughts, you know? Okay, so round one, Living Ends, two, Mono Green, Merktide, uh, Scam, Omnath, Merktide, Scam, Amulet, Jund, Mono Red. So Scam is the only repeater. No, Merktide. Merktide twice. Yeah, Merc- and you went one and one versus twice. both. No, I two-owed Scam. Oh, you two-owed Scam. Okay. And then your matchups against like the bigger mana Edex, you played against Amulet and <laughs> Tron. Oh, my my Tron matchup was hilarious. Uh, I think in game one, I just got kind of beat. And then in game two, I was like, you know, a small light disruption kind of thing into crumble to dust. And then game three, my hand was kind of awkward where I might have mulliganed and I had like Besaju, Sumbland, Halfling, Renin Six, and then like some other stuff, including crumble to dust. So I was like, oh, I don't know how this hand's going to develop. Like, am I on the, the Ren plan? Am I on the, the Crumble plan? Like, is my Halfling going to live? That kind of matters. I'm like short on mana. And then I drew a second Besaju. So I was like, oh, okay, we're fine. So I could just like go on the Besaju thing pretty, pretty easily. And then ended up doing that and not particularly caring about the Crumble because it was like they were crumbled already, you know? And then they just ended up like, playing some four mana cards and eventually like stone brained me for crumble, maybe like being scared of it, but also like expecting more of them. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh yeah, I was just completely off that plane anyway. So it didn't even matter, but they, yeah, I only got one of those too. Yeah. But they got the one out of my hand and it drew me a card, you know, I was like, Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for the cycle. Good assist. Yeah. yeah so, uh, the Tron plan was good. I think, you know, they're they're willing to mulligan four. Oh, that's what it was. Game one, my opponent's like, uh, I guess I'll mulligan. I mulligan two. And then I was like, I'll keep. And they're like, oh, I'll mulligan. And there was an, an old tweet that was like, you know, mulda five. And you're like, uh, you know, sorry, you know, whatever. And then they mulda four. And you're just like, oh, fucking Tron players, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> like it, the the switch flips so quickly, yeah. right? And it's yeah. just like, yeah, my opponent mulligan again. I'm just like, God damn it. Yeah. You go from like feeling a little bit of sympathy to like feeling like they're getting None. what they deserve. Yeah. yeah, it's gone. Yeah, it's three, gone. three, three. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was that was kind of how it went down. But uh, yeah, the Tron plan was good. Amulet plan, I want to say left like a little bit to be desired because like things didn't really come together, but also my opponent just had like natty cultivator colossus which i think i could have beaten a bunch of other 
things in that spot, you know, if it was just Titan or whatever. So Yeah. Or if they cut it to go down to sixty cards, right? That sixty first must oh, be yeah. what's getting you. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh, I mean, the post-board games are pretty hard, though, too. They have, like, oh, my opponent at least had, like, some O-Stones. They had Hydroid Crisis. You know, they had a bunch of stuff to grind and, uh, like, reset if I ever got ahead and everything. So, I don't know. That one's tough, but I don't expect to play against it a lot. But uh, overall, my spread was kind of, like, what you would expect from a big modern tournament. And then, yeah, the leagues are just so weird. I, dude, and I used to joke, like, you play one mono-black coffers a league, you know? And then it's like that deck is just not legal in real life. Like you just yeah. never play against it. And also, I think I may up my my count on that, where I am now due to play against two coffers decks per league. So, yeah, I saw. So in the challenges over the weekend, Murktide had a really good weekend, and I assume that's a little bit over indexed on like people looking to dust off the preordains and trying to try that out and. I queued up for a league earlier in the week and I just played against Murktide three times in a row. Yeah. I and mean, I was it's, just like, what is happening? And then the fourth round I played against Mill and it's just like, this is just wild. Well, Mill also top aided one of the challenges too. Yeah. At least one of them that I saw. And I don't know. I mean, some of it, you, you say like, oh, could just be over indexing, but like maybe, maybe it is preordained makes that deck much better. I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. It could be both too. Right. Um, my my gut reaction, oh, my go gut ahead. reaction was that consider was better, but I don't know. Yeah, I I think the the sorcery aspect actually is a pretty big upside, which is something that at least I overlooked a little bit at first. Um, for Murktide specifically, you just mean getting more spells in in your deck, like in your graveyard kind of well, thing? Well, yeah, yeah, different card types, right? Sorcery is a card type that there's not quite enough of. So the fact that it's a sorcery rather than an instant, I actually think is an upside here. Oh, yeah. You, you said four Murktide, and I, was, I thought you were talking about the specific card, not, not oh, just sure, the deck in sure, general. Sure. But yeah, for in, in terms of Delirium, it certainly helps. But like, I never had a huge issue with that. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um but excited to see your take on creativity. Um, I think that outside of that, Scam is probably the only other place that I find myself like leaning and looking a lot at and the only other deck I've played more than two or three leagues with and still found myself like looking forward to playing. It is a very good deck. I think I was pretty fortunate against it. I don't know if there's anything that can remedy that on the scam side of things and obviously you know jake won the pro tour jake continued to do well in this tournament also uh going x1 in the swiss uh robin is another very strong player who had a, a good day one she she didn't do great in day two i think but uh it definitely seemed like if you are scamming and know what is going on you're gonna have a very good tournament um I'm not sure how much scam overall there was in the tournament. I didn't see a ton of it, you know? And yeah. well, like the, the, pe the people who were playing it where I was like, they know what's up, like they, they did pretty well. Yeah, I I really enjoy playing it as well. Um, Hammer and Creativity are other modern decks that I've really enjoyed playing a lot over time. And I think what they all have in common is they have a bunch of interesting decisions that are very different and unique. Um, you don't have a lot of the same play patterns outside of your turn one scam games. 
Um, so you get into a surprising amount of like unique board states. Yeah. Uh, the games when things don't go according to plan, right, are actually pretty common and you end up winning a good amount of them still, which I think is something all through those decks share in common and a testament to how powerful they are. And the fact that you also get to mix in some of these incredibly powerful draws, whether it's turn one scam, turn two attacking with a hammered creature or like, you know, curving Ren and Six into creativity, like it, these are all very powerful things. And then you also have this like comeback mechanism and ability to win these very broken games. And I think, yeah, that's kind of where I want to be. Yeah, it feels like with Omnath, I didn't have to focus too much on what specifically people were going to play because I felt pretty comfortable against, you know, like 80% of the top decks or whatever. And then for something like figuring out the scam sideboard or the creativity sideboard, we may have to have a greater idea and understanding of what the metagame is going to look like, which can be tough because it's, you know, pretty, pretty wide open. It's hard to actually nail that stuff down. Yeah, but it can be more rewarding too. So I usually enjoy those spots more where we're trying to anticipate, you know, we can't, we can beat anything, but we can't beat everything. Yep. Well, well, we'll see if we can do it. And uh, oddly, I feel like there is a time and a place for that counterspell version. The one, the creativity one that's basically just blue red and has like preordain and counterspell and Prismari command and stuff like that. But I, I don't think it's right now, but you should definitely let me know if I'm, if I'm able to dust that off at some point in the future. Cause I'd be down. Yeah. I mean, like I haven't played any games with that version. I think on the surface, I'd be a little worried about this scam matchup specifically. No, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I also saw a list online. I don't know if you saw it. That was not actually playing any creativities and they went transmogrify and played the one rings. I saw that one. I also saw another one that had, I mean, it's kind of neither here nor there, but they were like creativity into a capricious Hellraiser. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that one? Yeah. Because it's like Lorian reveal, and then they just had Boon of the Wishgiver, which is like the opportunity that cycles for one. It was like, I, okay, you are doing some stuff. I don't know. I don't know if it's good. They're uh, definitely having fun. Yes, you are. You are up to some shit, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that is 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 maybe secret. I don't know. But uh, my first initial thought with the Omnath stuff and going to like, well, I want to do sort of like fair, value stuff, interact, was like, oh, maybe we should dust off Glimpse of Tomorrow. And you yeah, that quickly, gets me real you quickly shut me down. Hey, listen, that if, that's on another one of my lists of like, I would love to play that deck. I've played it a lot online. My moto has crashed a surprising amount from very large Glimpse turns. Happens. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just spend 10 minutes clicking through trying to kill people with Omnath. Um, but... Yeah, I think the number of chalices people are playing is like the thing I'll always keep my eye on, right? And I think if a lot of people do what you did and te lean more into the rhinos hate from the, um, whether it's the the ratchet bombs or the explosives rather than the chalices, I can get behind that. Um, but I think like th these sideboard trends are like really important to pay attention to with these decks. Like from the creativity side, as an example here, Blood Moon is a card I'm always keeping a very, very close eye on. And it's kind of weird that like as Tron's been doing better and people have been picking up more targeted hate for Tron, the number of Blood Moons has actually been going down. 
I think Jake added a second blood moon for whatever it, reason. I didn't ask him why. Interesting. I went through all of the creativity lists that top aided the challenges over the weekend, and there were like six of them. And I think there was one blood moon total all across the scam, them. All, all the scam decks that top aided, you mean, right? Uh, no, this, sorry, this is Merktide. Oh, sure. So yeah. a deck Mer that like going back six months was playing multiple Blood Moons main deck. Yeah. Um, so my, my point is, yeah, there, there's a lot of these different decks. They're all going in slightly different directions. Um, but if they start to pick up more um, Tron style hate that's not Blood Moon, that's a really positive trend for creativity. And I think the same can be true for some of the Cascade decks, right? Where some of them overlap quite a bit and others are a little bit more targeted. Yeah. No, I could see that. Uh, last thing then, uh, so this, this event was for charity. It was, uh, benefiting the Duke Children's Hospital and was like run, uh, with the help of like extra life. And there was a person who was like, uh, I'm sure they have an actual title and they actually gave me a business card. I should know this, but they were like the, I don't know, person in charge of like facilitating these events, you know? Uh, so they, they had like all the information on site and they were like talking to people as they came in and setting up like all the raffles and giving you all the information for like where you could uh, donate and whatnot. So I had a nice little chat with him about uh, how I could like best best give back effectively. And he's just like, oh, like, you know, buy some raffle tickets. And I was like, OK, well, like here's here's my situation. Like, I think that you know, more net good comes out of the event if I just like don't win a raffle, right? Like <laughs> I actually did win a raffle and I felt <laughs> bad. Of course you did. So now I have a Street Fighter secret lair. Uh, this this was before I had turned down any further raffle tickets, by the way. It was just like, oh, okay, they called my number. I guess I'll get this and like find a kid to give it to you. But like I now, I now have a Street Fighter secret lair that I'll, you know, auction at some point or something. I don't know what, but that that whole moment just kind of like hammered home for me where it's like they had the gathering place booth, which is the the name of the store uh, that's either in Durham directly or like just outside of it. And the owner of that store was the one who was putting on this whole event. And it was their booth. Everyone's gathered around the booth, kind of like at the end of uh, Friday, waiting for the raffle tickets to be called off. And I just felt bad going up there and like getting the thing where it's like, now I have this thing. It, it doesn't really bring me any joy. Whereas I think it would bring someone else joy to have like won something. Right. So like talking to this dude, I'm just like, nah, like what, what, what can I do? What is, what is, what is best for you? You know, should I go talk to the store guy, see if I can figure out, some way to do some stuff with him locally uh there's a guy in wisconsin who runs uh like a games club out of his high school he's a teacher and whenever people would come to to me about stuff like oh i have like all these you know like binders or bulk cards or you know sleeves deck boxes like what should i do with them i try and send them to this dude mike and jason ford is one of those people who i was just like yo i'm gonna put you two in contact Jason went, just dumped all of his old stuff off, you know, and now just a bunch of kids are playing with it. You know, like I want to want to do some stuff like that. Right. Love and it. yeah, the, the dude was just like, well, here's here's the QR code. Just give us money. And I was like, all right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just I'll just do that. But I. I do that stuff on occasion. I normally don't post about it because it 
it feels like kind of hollow. It's like you should give because you want to give, not because you want to get like internet hugs from it or whatever. But uh, my friend Jake had a pretty good point where it's just like, you know, you sharing this may incentivize other people to, you know, do the same, whether it is, you know, with their money directly, if they have that, or maybe it is their time, maybe it's just attending the events or just, you know, raising awareness that these sort of things are happening because that was another thing that I heard a decent amount was like, oh, I, I would have gone to this if I had known, but uh, there there wasn't a, a whole lot of advertisement for it, you know, outside of like the local area or whatever. So like shared a thing about that and then quickly closed Twitter and have not checked my mentions since then because I just don't want to, you know, hear about it. It's just like, it's awkward and embarrassing and I, I feel bad about posting it. But like what I'm getting at is people put a lot of time and effort and energy into these things that are doing net good in the world. And I want people to do more with what they can to support these events so that more of them happen and more people attend them. And then sure, maybe there are people who have money to donate directly or whatever, but even still like going to the event, uh, buying entry into the tournament or whatever, like that, that benefits like the hospital and the kids and stuff. So like, you know, you just show up and play some magic and you're actually doing net good in the world, you know, and that rules and we should be supporting that stuff whenever it pops up because there's not a ton of people doing it, you know? It's amazing. I And I totally agree with Jake for whatever this is worth on like, listen, you can donate for all of the right reasons and then still use your platform for some, you know, virtual internet hugs. And those virtual internet hugs are not for you. They're they're spreading the word and maybe encouraging others to do the same. Um, whether it's following your example or maybe people that would normally be interested in this and just weren't even aware it was happening. So um, I'm with you on it, maybe feeling a little bit cringe and awkward at times, but um, I think it's awesome. Yeah. And <laughs> so like on on the way there, uh, Jake, I think it was Jake posted a thing in like our discord group chat where he's just like, so I'm, I'm planning on like giving back whatever I win. Like, I, I feel like that is how these events should just go, you know? Right. Like are, are other people like planning on doing the same thing? And it's just like, I, I wasn't going to announce that, but yeah, I was going to. And then, you know, I, I didn't, I was like, kind of mad that I didn't win because I want to just like give the money back. But yeah, I, I just got bodied instead. So I was like, ah, whatever, I'll just pay out of pocket. Who cares? Yeah, I I struggle a little bit with like the donating your prize part because I, I don't want that to maybe set any expectation that everyone's expected to do that. No, like, of course not. Um, and like, I think that can sometimes create some weird pressures. But, um, you know, everybody contributing whatever they can, I think is awesome. That's I, I don't think I did a good job with this in my in my Twitter post, unfortunately, which stinks because I, I actually like put in a lot of time trying to find like the right words and find like the right things to post, like the right links and just like give props to the store and stuff like that. And then the thing that I didn't stress that I wish that I did is that like not everyone has to give with money, like not everyone has money to give. And that also applies to money that you're about to win, right? Because that could be 
money you didn't have before, but it could still be things that can benefit your life where it's like, oh, well, now maybe I'll pay for like my car to get repaired or or whatever. You know, maybe this gives me breathing room on rent for the next month. You know, like not everyone should be incentivized to like donate their money back because we all have our own stuff going on, you know, but like if you can use whatever platform you have to like share this stuff, get the word out, tell your friends, get more people there, like you are doing that good and you are doing that with what resources you have available to you. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, like, I, I just want people to do that sort of stuff more and maybe be aware that you do have power to change things or at least put more net good out in the world. And I think uh, a lot of it is just like, oh, you know, like, you know, who who am I? Who's, who's going to like look at this retweet or whatever? Why should I bother or whatever? And it's like, oh, maybe someone else retweets it and someone else retweets it. You know, it's like you never know. Right. And maybe that person hears about it and they bring a car full of friends or whatever. You know, it's just like every every little bit helps, especially in terms of stuff like this. And like we're a massive community. Right. Like as as a collective we do actually have a lot of power to influence and to do good things. And I wish that we utilize that power a little bit more often, you know? Yeah. I think it's leverage that not many people appreciate. And I'm with you on, it takes a village with this stuff. It does. Absolutely. Cause a lot of this stuff is like systemic and you can't necessarily uproot an entire system overnight or whatever. So a lot of it is just like, you know, the day, the day to day, we just spend time like stemming the bleeding while trying to affect actual change in other ways. And I think that that's about the best we can do. It's the best way to go about things. And you can develop like a defeatist attitude about it, but it that doesn't help. You know, it doesn't doesn't change things, you know, and I feel like doing some net good, even if it doesn't ultimately solve the problems, is still where you should be. It's what you should strive for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So that's it. I'm off my soapbox. What's next? Columbus, baby. Uh, you're you're busy. So I feel like I have to test creativity now. Is That's the gist I'm getting? I think that's wh- where we are. Um, I have a wedding this weekend, so I'm going to be testing creativity vicariously through you. So... Um, God. I actually have to, have to work, man. Yeah. Oh, what a bummer. More magic. Well, let me tell you, magic is pretty tolerable and, dare I say it, fun when you are surrounded by friends. Or in my case this weekend, I, I met some new people that were kind of cool. So that, that that ruled, actually. Look at this. We're going in the right direction. Dude, we are. I mean, granted, there were some people that uh, I stayed away from, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that were there this weekend. But hey, it's not all bad and the good outweighs the bad. And, and you're going to be there in Columbus, if nothing else. I got I got one homie. No, I got two. We, we're staying with another friend of mine. So yeah, Brian's skipping this one. So we'll take a subtle jab at him, but we'll get we'll get the other friends out soon. Um, and I, I'm keeping my own scoreboard on the side that I haven't told you about. Of you've now skipped one tournament, your Pioneer <laughs> event on Friday, and you have not dropped from a tournament since we've started doing this, which is a big win in my book. I started 5-0. It's kind of hard to drop at that point, you know? Uh, I would not put it past you. <laughs> and and that's how we started in like the team event too, if I recall. Yeah. Yep. So and, and we've conceded one round, but I think in a totally reasonable spot. And I'm not gonna I won't 
hold that one against you in any capacity. Yeah, that that I don't even count. It's like people were like, oh, it's the right thing to do. And it's like, well, no, the right thing to do would have been to not tap the land for mana. But also, I think that not only am I not a huge favorite to win the game, but like I'm certainly not a favorite to win the match given the time constraints and stuff. So it's like, yeah, I, no. I feel like it cost me nothing. And uh, I, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I, I hope my opponent enjoyed you know, top eighting with Obosh and, you know, it looked like they really enjoyed their deck and were having a blast. So, yeah. And it got you on to creativity. So if you accidentally won the tournament with four color, we might not be here. So I'm no, gonna say dude, to that guy that's too. actually a very on brand thing for me to do is like win a tournament and be like, this deck sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just hasn't happened in a while, but trust it's on brand. Sure. Well, modern's still great and uh, looking forward to it, dude. It is. It is awesome. Like regardless of what was going on, and how cool or not cool my opponents were. Like, the games were interesting. They're good. They were good. And that is game. Good luck.